Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening. The Kings of Sport present the Spinning Black Fist Podcast with your hosts, Chinyere Okafor and 10 Day Ray Williams. Hey, 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 it's your boy Two-Way Ray. And the one and only Chi-Chi. And we're back again with another installment of that spinning Black Fist podcast on Black History Month, no less. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, Chi-Chi, how you doing today? How you feeling today? I'm great. Yo, I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. How are you, Ray? What's up? What's happening on your side? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm enjoying this lovely Monday uh, for those in the States. And this is as of this recording. Um, not only is it Black History Month, but it is also President's Day over here in the States, which means that we get to both celebrate the accomplishments of our black culture and also celebrate the most famous men who profited most off of slavery. So we could do that all in one go. So yeah, that's, but at least I get a day off from work. So that's all I really care about. The side in South Africa, it's just a normal Monday, I guess. Mm. Storm brewing outside and I guess it's just vibes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, at least you're, you're in the house, you're safe, hopefully nothing really too bad happens outside um how often do you guys get storms out there by the way um well it rains quite often here and when i say storm i'm not talking about anything hectic you know i'm just talking about like just you know um a little bit of a thunderstorm yeah we don't really get any hectic weather although last year we did have an earthquake here in south africa which was very odd because yeah we don't get those quite often so yeah (laughs) wow well, well, stay safe. Hopefully, like you said, it's one of the smaller storms, just a little thunderstorm, just a little passing rain. Water never hurt anybody, as I always yeah. say. But enough of my jibber-jabber. We have a special guest. This brother, I have known this brother for years, and I wanted to go ahead, and we want to get straight to speaking with him. He is a tremendous part. He, he's doing his own thing now, but... For once in a while, he, he's been a tremendous part as far as local MMA here in the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area is concerned. He's been doing his best to cover sports or cover combat sports, rather, from all different facets, whether it be as a editor for some small local organizations, whether it be as a commentator. And he's also, as we'll get into it, he was also able to make his way all the way up to the UFC, not as a fighter, but as a producer. So with that in mind, I want to bring on our special guest. It is my pleasure and privilege to welcome on Imani Mueller. What's going on? What's going on, fam? Dang, man, you make me, uh, it's going to be hard to live up to that. I'm just a regular dude. <laughs> well, we appreciate having matter of fact like you you're an inspiration if if we're gonna do black history i do want to acknowledge that you have inspired me to kind of get into this space as well not i don't think a lot of people know this but imani is the person who actually taught me how to do 
kind of video editing and streaming stuff. Ah. So you you kind of set the blueprint for me, Imani. And for that, I thank you, brother. No problem. I mean, that, that's thank you, Imani. Yeah, of course. That's what I do. I, I I help out people out. You know, no no questions asked. No no bills paid. It's just go ahead and help each other out. I appreciate that. Well, I uh, guess we'll go ahead and get started with uh, just you telling us where you are, giving us a brief introduction and just your history with combat sports and how you got into this space. Hey, I'm going to take it back, back, back. Let me think. All right, we're talking black history. You're about to get some history because I've been in martial arts my whole life. Uh, mm. You know, just like anybody else, when you're a kid, you go to karate class, you do all that. It was something to do, you know, being in a um, single parent home. It was just, we need activities. Uh, we were all boys. So we did wrestling, we did um, karate, we did aikido, we did judo, we did all that. And then by the time I was a teenager, I got into boxing and kickboxing. And and then I went off to the military. I was in the army, so I fought in Iraq, and everybody was thought they were hoist crazy. Everybody did jujitsu. So, so by by the time you know mid twenties, I, I did all the martial arts, and I was a big fan of mixed martial arts because back in the day, I think we had Direct TV or some type of satellite cable, and we would get Pride, you know, mm. Pride Fighting Championship. I didn't even know about UFC. I didn't know about Pride uh, because it was like came on really late. And then, um, and then, yeah, pride and glory. So we got to see high level kickboxing and then high level MMA in the stadium. This was before the UFC got big in, in America. They were in stadiums in Japan at Pride Fighting mm-hmm. Championships. So that's what I was watching. I was watching those people. Um, that was even before Fedor. So I was watching, we talked about Gary Goodridge, who I'm going to talk more about, and um, Igor Vachanchin. So some of the old classics. And so by the time I grew up watching that stuff, getting involved in martial arts, it's just a natural progression of martial arts is, is to MMA. A lot of people have a misconception about mixed martial arts. You know, they think, um, well, for one, it's simply cage fighting or it's simply like like a Bruce Lee style where you just find the best of all martial arts. But it is what it was meant to be from the beginning, the proving ground for martial arts. So if you took karate as a kid, eventually you get to martial arts. If you took judo as a kid, eventually you get to mixed martial arts. Mixed martial arts is like the end game for all martial arts. So, mm-hmm. so that's where I was. So um, I started training. Um, I had one amateur fight, you know, wasn't really my thing, but at the same time I was going to school for video production, uh, because I was, I was a music producer growing up. Then I switched over to video producing and people don't know when you do MMA, it's a lot of gym time because it's not about just getting tough. It's about, um, knowledge acquisition. So you got to learn jujitsu, you got to learn Muay Thai, you got to learn multiple martial arts that's why it's good to have a base but then you have to step it up you have to be like a black belt and everything so you're spending hours in the gym as an amateur so Mm -hmm. while i was going to school video production i was like i might as well just shoot video in the gym i'm here all the time so i started shooting fighters and started making like fighter promos and then eventually the promoters saw it um, local promoters so i started doing promos for the promoters commercials for the promoters and then that led all the way up to me shooting full events multiple cameras I just got a bunch of my my classmates from school. We got all the cameras. We would shoot like a real fight. We would live stream fights, you know, a bunch of us. And um, that continued for, I don't know, probably like 10 years. Like after I graduated, just kept doing it. I started traveling, started going to Jersey, Philly, went all the way out in the Midwest, was out in Nebraska, just shooting fights and shoot doing fighter promos. And um, eventually it got to the point where where it was like – I reached out to PFL because they were in DC and I was living in DC. Like, okay, I've been doing this forever. Let's see what's the next step. 
and I was applying to all the production jobs at the UFC for like 10 years straight. And then eventually it was like, I just got used to doing it. And one day they just called me back like, hey, hey, we saw what you're doing. Let's, we want to hire you. They flew me out there. I showed them what I did. They gave me some footage. I edited it real quick and they, they hired me on. Yeah, and, and they, they, they wanted me as like a producer editor. That's my job trade. I worked at like NBC Sports and other places too as a producer editor. But when I got there, um, I edited a promo so good that they're like, you know what, we're just going to have you as an editor. So, so I ended up editing their um, documentary show called UFC Connected. And I was lead editor on that show. I did that for about a year. I didn't like Vegas, so I came home. Um, but they still contract me out. So to this day, I still do documentary pieces on some of the, some of the biggest writers in the world. So that's, that's pretty much my MMA journey. Nice, nice. Incredible journey, incredible story. Uh, Chi-Chi, did you have any questions for Imani? Um, so off camera, like off the record, you actually mentioned that you also, you know, did, you know, kickboxing and all of those. Right. And I'm curious outside of MMA, which one was actually perhaps your favorite one to do, like actively do? Uh, to be honest, MMA is the best, uh, uh, outside of MMA, I would have to say like, like boxing. I did a lot of boxing, mm-hmm. but, but MMA is great because it's like, uh, it, it's like, you have so many options. Like I'll be boxing. And I was like, you know, I could just kick you right now. <laughs> or, or, we do, or we do a jujitsu, and, and so some jujitsu guy had me in a weird position. He thinks he's winning. He's like, you know, I can punch you in the face right now. So, 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 so like MMA, just like okay, yeah, all your options. I don't like when people take options away from me. So MMA gives me all the options, but but I like boxing because uh, wrestling is hard on the knees, on the back. Wrestling oh, yeah. is hard. Wrestling, wrestling is like, ugh. So that's jujitsu <laughs> included. Even grappling is like hard, right, but boxing is like you know, chill. I I always tell everybody, um, jujitsu maybe the most effective martial art you know it works most of the time but boxing is the most efficient martial art like all i have to do is like mm-hmm. one punch and you're done so mm-hmm. i was like i'd rather take take the, the easy route yeah. <laughs> yeah. i don't blame you i don't blame you well with that said thank you for giving us just a bit of your backstory and we're gonna go ahead like we mentioned before it is Black History Month. I know. Oh, why you always got to talk about Black History? Why can't we have White History? No, we're not talking about any of that right now. We're oh, don't get me on- started because uh, I got something to say. I'm about to go Dr. Uma on these people. Oh, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> don't All get right, me well, started. We- All right, I'm gonna keep focused, but 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 don't open that door, brother. Got you, got you. We we don't want to get canceled, brother. We we just in our third episode. <laughs> we got to say that our our network here, the Kings of Sport Network, we do have a, a Patreon, so we got to save that for Patreon. We got to get you back for the Patreon. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll let it loose. We we going full Cat Williams. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> well, we did want to specify when we we're talking about Black History Month, we do want to highlight the achievements of African Americans and just Black folks in general within the space of mixed martial arts. So I'll hand the hand the mic off to you, Maestro. Uh, what are some key moments that you have? like built in in your memory or built in in your head as far as African-Americans or black folks within the MMA space, whether it be UFC, Bellator, or even Pride, as uh, Imani mentioned. 
So one of the things that I always say, right, is that I always hear like, especially like the hardcore MMA fans, you guys have this background where you grew up around pride and you got to witness it live and all of that. And I didn't quite get that, which does make me very sad. But um, when it comes to black history and all of that, um, I think one person that always stands out to me, like he's always just at the top of everything, is the one and only Mighty Mouse, Demetrius Johnson, that guy did a lot for for black history he did a lot for 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 the divisions that he was in and he was just that guy you know um i don't know why the ufc let him go honestly like they shouldn't have that was such a poor trade but he's just honestly one of the people that i always look at and i'm like yo like if ever i get the chance to do some sort of black history month piece on some sort of mma athlete it would probably be him so (laughs) You know, he's just great, especially like there's this other picture where um, he has like two titles draped on him and he has all these other titles just laying here in front of him. I was like, that picture goes so hard. <laughs> so, yeah, Demetrius Johnson is that guy for me. Oh, that's great. That's a good one. <laughs> I like that. Yes, yes, yes. He's very, very underrated and very like, I don't know why people look over him so much. I, I think just with the relationship that he had with the UFC, like he didn't deserve that. He's definitely, yeah. definitely high up there. Should be uh, one of the greatest flyweight fighters, if not the greatest flyweight fighter uh, in history. And certainly up there as far as one of the best pound for pound, like top 10 right now. So um, how about you, Imani? Oh, see, like I said, I, I I came up in those times and I saw people and, you know, I'm, t- I'm right now I'm in my 40s. So I have to take it back for real. Um, before, even before UFC, it was a huge black presence in combat sports or martial combat sports because it started with with kickboxing for real um back in like the it was like the 80s and 90s and then a lot of those kickboxers became famous because that's when things were getting televised mm. and yeah you you had uh people like uh let's see i got a nice little list here let's start with just i'm gonna take it to mma and then we're gonna go back because ufc yeah. one had one of the greatest martial artists in the world that nobody talks about do y'all know about ron van cleve Mm-hmm. Uh, Cleves. he was in ufc number one he was called the black dragon he was one of the first black people to actually go to hong kong and actually become an action star in hong kong and before that he was a champion kickboxer multiple-time black belt and he fought hoist gracie in ufc was it ufc one or ufc two it was one of those i think mm-hmm. it was ufc two but he he fought hoist gracie and lost and, you know, it's because, you know, jujitsu, that was like everybody's introduction to jujitsu. And he was in, yeah. I would have to say he was in his late 40s, early 50s and went in there in top shape. He was actually one of the instructors and trainers of Timex. Do you do y'all remember the movie uh, The Last Dragon? Yes. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the main character, Timex, um, right. I'm saying that right. He Bruce was in Ron, yeah, yeah, Bruce, Bruce Lee. He was in Ron Van Cleef's corner at UFC 2. If you if you look at UFC two and you look at the top of the cage, you'll see Timex from the Last Dragon. Wow! So so that's real black history. When I talk about black history, I'm talking about like the history of black people. And he is Ron Van Cleve is one of the greatest black martial arts of all time. And he fought in UFC. Uh, he injured him. He was older. He injured himself in training. He didn't know about jujitsu. He got choked out. So after that, he went on to become a jujitsu black belt. So 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 his story wow. really has been told, but the Black Dragon fought in UFC too, and you know, and just, just so look him up, Ron Van Cleve. He's one of the greatest, not just black martial arts, but martial arts in history. 
And then mm-hmm. you have the you have some amazing people. Like I said, it started with kickboxing. So Rob Van Cleve that world. When we talk about Maury Smith, he came up through that world. It was a top level kickboxer who got introduced to MMA and then he fell in with the Lions then and started training with them. A lot of these people um came came from that kickboxing world. And then um after that we had people like like in Pride, what I was watching, like Gary Goodridge, we were talking about him. He was one of the founders. He came in martial arts background. One of the few guys actually tried to fight with a gi on. You know what I mean? There we go. What was it you? Oh yeah. Yeah, Rob Van Cleve. Yeah, there you go. The Black Dragon. Yeah, like yeah, I swear he was in his like late forties, early fifties. Yeah, and and he came in there ready to go. But 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 yeah, so a lot of people from that kickboxing world came to MMA, and that's what we're seeing today with people like um, uh, what's his name from England? He's about to fight. Uh, he's about to fight. I forgot. Dang, but he's like a point guard. No, no, no. He's the other dude. Yeah, he's he came from um, was he in Bellator first? Um, I, I'm gonna remember his name later, but oh, Michael Venom Page. Michael Venom Page. It's it's a lot of black kickboxers that that yeah. were like big and, big, and they transitioned to MMA started from the mm-hmm. beginning. And then and Raymond uh, Daniels as well. Yeah, Raymond uh, Daniels. Yep, all that stuff. So, so, so that's really where it started. Um, the 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 black kickboxing scene of like the eighties and nineties, and then that became the the pioneers of um, the black pioneers in MMA. So I just wanted to throw out a few. I could talk about this all day. You know, I'm, I'm like a <laughs> martial arts historian, but I just want to give re- respect where respect is due. When you talk about MMA and you talk about Black History Month, you have to say um, Ron Van Cleef. Hmm. I appreciate that, Brent. Yes, I, I I didn't even know about him, but I'm gonna be looking them up as soon as we're done. Uh, I I didn't even know about him. I, I knew about uh, everyone else. I knew about like the Art Jimmersons, of course. They 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 plaster him all over, and they talk about Jim Brown being the um, commentator there. But I, I never knew about Ron Van Cleef, so I'm going to go ahead and do a deep dive on him once we leave. Oh, oh yeah. Oh my bad. Uh, I got to do one more. Um, actually, in oh, UFC hey, one, oh, UFC one was um, uh, what was it? Pat Smith. Do y'all remember him? Yeah, Pat. He was in UFC seen. one. I've heard yeah, the name. And he mm-hmm. he a top level kickboxer. It was so many black kickboxers at the beginning of the thing. Um, was it uh, uh Sham submitted him? Was it or heel hook bust his leg up? Stop him. Mm. He learned to, he got good soon came back and he knocking people out and choking people out. Pat Smith he was in, in UFC one. UFC four. Pat Smith was in UFC one. Yeah. Yeah. So so everybody talks about R. Jemison. You know, R. Jemison, he was a boxer, he didn't know what he was doing. Nobody, you know, he didn't move on. <laughs> Pat Smith was a professional kickboxer who went to learn jujitsu. So so there you go. Mm. Yeah, do you his Go ahead. Look these up, folks. Look these up. Look these names up. Is it goes deeper than than what you see right now? And like like uh, Imani was alluding to, like we got to know our history to know where we come, we went through, and know where we are now, and see what we can do to move on in the future. So I appreciate the the quick history lesson, uh, Imani. I, I did did have some figures in mind. And I did have primarily fighters, but and pretty much was with the USC within the Zufa era and old. Um, and that is the good brother Bert Watson. He was like the 
Oh man. Fruit. Ah. Fight coordinator backstop, Sharon. So um he was a fight coordinator. You good, Imani? We got you back. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You you were breaking up a little bit on my end. Yeah. Yeah, same it, design. Yeah. Sorry. Had to clear out the um screen sharing to try to make my internet flow a little bit more. But um Burt Watson. Burt Watson, yes. he was a uh in the production role and it was pretty much helping the fighters when they come in from fight week, just helping them maintain weight or seeing where their weight is, uh making sure that they'll be able to make the right weight uh for the fight. Also checking in with fighters, making sure that they have all their gear. Um, and then like once fight night comes around, he's known for his, his famous we rolling as as fighters <laughs> are coming out and uh they're making their walk out to the cage. So um that brother, I, I think he he also I believe he was the manager of um uh Frazier of uh the 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 famous boxer. Yeah, that's a basketball player. The one who Ali, Joe Frazier, yes. Smoking Joe Frazier. He was actually like a best friend and confidant of Joe Frazier. He actually drove him around um, uh, Mm. as he was alive, and they they were like best of friends. So Burt Watson, just uh, instrumental in the success of UFC, from what I can tell, um, as far as like the modern – UFC once Dana White and the Fertitas had bought the promotion. So um, that's one unsung hero we don't hear enough about that that we need to, you know, just keep his name alive. He, he no longer works with the UFC, but um, he's still, his contributions are, are, are felt till this day. So uh, shout out to uh, Burt Watson. Um, but as far as fighters are concerned, I think and I was kind of joking about this uh, off air. Um, we got to go to what I deemed to be uh, the Negro Leagues, and that was the <laughs> UFC light heavyweight division. Yeah. It, it, it was just stacked with just premier uh, talent that were African-American and black. We, you had the list goes from John Jones to Daniel D.C. Cormier, and then you had Rashad Evans, and then you had – Anthony uh, Johnson, and then you had uh, Quentin Rampage Jackson, and the list goes Jimmy Manawa. Uh, the list goes on and on. You had Anderson Silva for a moment, like peek his head in the light heavyweight division. So it's just, um, and it was just that top for about a good span of like five years. We just had like just top tier african-americans a top tier black talent in that division holding the belt in one way or another so um it, it was good to see that um in the sport it, it it that was kind of like as i was because i had started becoming I, i'm not as deep as imani is as far as like my fandom but i started following them once uh the Ultimate Fighter had come out. I think they were like in their first or second season. That's when I really started trying to follow UFC more and more. And then like I I considered that light heavyweight era to be their peak. And and it it was good to see those brothers with all with different personalities. Um, 
it is kind of again it kind of not troublesome but it is kind of illuminating how some of the fighters were portrayed i, I harken back to when rashad evans and rampage mm-hmm. jackson had the the ultimate fighter season that door that poor door yeah <laughs> i feel bad for that door r.o.p r.i.p door who makes a door out of cardboard i don't <laughs> i don't know but um yeah it, it just it kind of seemed problematic the way they were kind of playing up um just that that, that rivalry that they had but it, it was definitely entertaining to say the least so um but just those brothers i believe are, are, are kind of templates and kind of set the stage for those who are in the UFC right now when you go mm. back or when, when you look at now you look at our Kevin Hollins or you look at our Jared Cannoneers or Curtis Blaze um we look at the folks who are kind of taking the torch now and you you want to salute those folks and hopefully they can continue to achieve more um as we kind of get into the pay-per-view a little bit later on. We'll talk about one person who's becoming, uh, I know Chi-Chi would get this reference, um, one person who's becoming the uh, Brock Lesnar of his division by taking out all the black talent. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that a little bit later on. Well, um, well, you're bringing up something important. I got to say something because you remind me of the Floyd Mayweather comments that he had. You remember what he said about MMA and the landscape as far as color? Oh no! Please. Oh please, no, no. He, yeah, he said um, MMA is a white sport. It's because mm. um, he, he was he was like boxing. You know, the boxing champions, the black and all that stuff. But but and, and you look at the audience, you see like black people in suits and ties and things like that. You look at the MMA yeah. crowd, you see a whole bunch of white frat boys with beers and stuff. And then you mm. got all these all these wrestlers, these American wrestlers and stuff. So he was hypercritical of that. Um, yeah, yeah. How do y'all feel about that? Like just the way. Um, the, the, the way race, race is spread out through the sport, you know, we have black people, we have white people, all that stuff. But yeah, he was he was going in like, you know, um, uh, boxing is for blacks and Latinos and MMA is for white people. Mm. I mean, you do see it. It is there. Like you, you can't really say that, like, you know, that's flat out wrong and all of that. It is the. It is one of those things where, like, like you're saying, he said, um, it's just one of those things where even when you're just looking at the crowd, you're more like, well, we're more likely to see people who look like us in a boxing crowd as opposed to an MMA crowd or a wrestling crowd. Um, but I think as the years go by, it's it's getting better, especially on the wrestling side. With MMA, we still have quite a way to go, not going to lie, because um, mm. it is still primarily like dominated by like a white audience. So yeah, I think that is very accurate. Hey? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I totally agree, and I think it kind of lends itself to it being like an access issue. And I, I kind of compare it. Uh, the analogy that popped in my head is kind of when you see basketball and baseball. With basketball, of mm. course, majority mm. black because all you need is a basketball and sometimes you don't even need a court. Sometimes you could just dribble in your house. You could dribble in the street. Somebody puts up like a, a a milk crate and just cut the hole out and cut the bottom out that bad boy. You got a court Uh, um, with baseball. Like you need all of these different equipment and then you need to set aside for it. 
if you play on your school's team and then if you got a travel team, you need to set aside funds for that. And like, oh, you got to have a bat. You got to have a glove. You got all this different stuff. And I think the same thing uh, works with kind of seeing that interaction between uh, I'm about to say basketball again, uh, boxing and mixed martial arts, like boxing, like sometimes you don't even need the gloves. Like um, you'll, you'll have some gyms and some like uh, inner city areas and they'll have the gloves for you. All you got to come in, you just got to come in, bring yourself and you learn the techniques and stuff like that. But with MMA it's probably like, you got to, get some gloves and you got to get some shin guards and then you got to learn how to do jujitsu. So you got to take jujitsu classes too. So now you got to, all this money is coming out. So I think it, part of it is like an access issue. And um, I, I think that's getting a bit better now. I, I see a lot of like MMA gyms and jujitsu gyms are reaching out to like lower income communities and doing things for them. So, um, and another thing is just, the cultures behind the sports as well. Um, like you both alluded to, like boxing is really, really black. Like <laughs> it, it's just, you, you, you see it in the presentation, you, you see it with guys coming out and they're, they're, they're dressed with like Gucci or they're dressed in all these different stuff. Like they get to express themselves in a certain way. Whereas like MMA is kind of focused to, Oh, you got to be so disciplined. Oh, you got to do this. Oh, you got to do that. And you do mm -hmm. have people. I think uh, one connection between the two is that you do have kind of the trash talk in there. And sometimes in both sports, the trash talk can get problematic and, even with boxing, even though it is known as a black sport, you still get pushback from people, especially in uh, Floyd May Mayweather's heyday, where it's like everybody wanted Floyd to lose. Where they, like every time he fought somebody who was from Mexico, like everybody's rooting for him to lose. Especially when he fought Conor McGregor, everybody was like, it's just this huge divide. So uh, I, I think I understand where you both are coming from as far as like, MMA being geared more towards like that mainstream, mainstream, quote unquote, uh, white art audience. And of course, like, especially when they were first coming up, you you had the Just Bleed guy. I don't know if you know this. Uh, oh, that, yeah. that dude's going down in history. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he need to be in the UFC Hall of Fame, the Just Bleed mm -hmm. guy. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's... <laughs> Now he's like a computer analyst somewhere. Like he's got a cushy job. Like he's not doing any of that. Anymore. Man, he he better be in there with his shirt off and UFC tattooed <laughs> on his chest. That's all I know. You better ride that that fame. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know if you knew about him. Chi Chi is a guy. He, he would have. I did. Like, yeah, UFC. That's like one of the most infamous pictures yeah, from yeah. the UFC. <laughs> uh, he, he, he's like he's like the QAnon shaman of MMA. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> that's exactly who he is. Oh my goodness! But Imani, but, I actually have a question yeah. for for Imani. Right, uh, I'm a person who also worked in the MMA space here uh, in South Africa. I worked for a prominent uh, MMA promotion here. So it's one of those things where I just actually want to ask you with regards to the promotions that you worked with and all of that, specifically the MMA promotions. Did you find that um, in the way that things were being done, that were perhaps being geared towards, um, how do I put it? They were perhaps being geared towards 
um, white people. Let me put it like that, right? They will perhaps be geared towards white people as opposed to maybe black people and not even just with regards to the marketing, but also maybe even the, the structure that's within that promotion, mm. you know, in terms of like the staff members and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's really tricky because, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you are right. You are correct. The MMA world um, at all levels, even at highest levels, is still sort of the wild, wild west. There hasn't been it's only been out for like, I don't know, 94. So it's, it's still yeah. like in the development yeah. stage. And so a lot of people hopped on a bandwagon, the original fans, you know, those um, white frat boys drinking beer. Uh, some of them were like, you know, I can do a promotion too. So so a lot of those promoters come out of that original fan base. And then so culturally speaking, you know, they're not too connected with like the black culture and in, in, in the states, mm-hmm. the inner city culture like that. So it, it it's it's like any other thing. I'm glad we're talking about this. I can get on my, my umar stuff now. Here we go. <laughs> no, 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 but it's just like anything. They're, they're, that's the world they come from. They come from you know, we can call it racism, yeah. we call it nepotism. It's just like that all the people they know are white, all their friends they know they're white. That's what they're going to ask for. They operate in a white space. So mm-hmm. so it's not like they're doing it intentionally. They're just a couple of people who saw an opportunity and hopped up and, and used their tools. And a lot of them aren't like super set. Well, the ones I dealt with aren't like super like savvy business people. I mean, they, they do know business, but like they, they, they're in, in the business of combat sports of, uh, of, yeah, of what do you, what do you call it? Prize fighting. So it's, it's yeah. not, it's not, it's not like they stand on moral high ground. You know what I mean? Right. So, so if they, so if they want to do shite, funny business, they're not going to feel bad about it. So, so True. if they're, they're white people coming from their white fan base, so surrounded by other white people that doing it in, in the thing, they're just going to operate how they want to operate. And, and that includes a lot of times I see it. They, that includes the act of excluding other groups, the way they operate, the way they work. And as far as like the promotion side, yeah, um, they, they, they promote to that. They, they're, they're sort of everybody is trying to like do what the UFC does. So if the UFC yeah. is trying to trying to get those white frat boys, they're trying to get those white frat boys. So it's it's the unfortunate thing. I think I actually saw the statistics about it. It's really like a lot of their fan base are the um, upper middle class um, young white professionals. So a lot of the promotions are, are, are just just trying to ride those coattails, um, unfortunately. But it's it's not like intentional. It's not like malicious. I just think it's mm-hmm. convenience, and you know they're just trying to get a quick buck the easiest way they can. Mm. Yeah, because I mean, I've been to like boxing events and I see like the staff is, it has more diversity, it has more black people in the team, you know, and all of that. And then I look at the promotion where I was working, for example, where for the longest time, I was one of the only black people on the team. Um, You know, I'm the only black girl on the team, at least. And then there's a black guy and it's pretty much us like outside of the logistics team. It's pretty much just us as the black people in the team. And it always kind of felt like, okay, this is weird because now, for example, when we have to go out and shoot athletes um, for, to get their stories and all of that, it's like, Oh, I don't know. I don't want to get myself into trouble, but it's just one of those things where there is a different narrative that we have to push when we're shooting the black athletes, as opposed to, for example, the white athletes. And that, uh, that was very problematic for me. Well, I, I dealt with that. No, when I worked at the UFC, yes, I was one of the very few black people there. And then yeah. uh, that's one of the reasons why I left. And then, uh, uh, but but all of the things you're saying, yeah, at the highest level is working. And I think because of boxing, like I said, it's older. Uh, boxing has matured to the point where it's like it's a strong black boxing community. It's a strong Mexican black boxing community. They had decades, centuries to to like build that up. And then so so MMA is still just with just these random weirdos who want to who who like 
half naked dudes fighting in a cage. It hasn't really built up to where you have strong communities, um, uh, strong homogenous communities, like a strong black MMA community, a strong Latino um, MMA community. Um, but but as far as you hit on the nail of the stories, though, oh, my goodness. I think that's that's one of the reasons why they brought me on. It's like it's hard to tell those stories. I don't know if you all remember. They 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 botched a Black History Month oh, Ooh, a few years ago. Yeah, that was horrible. I, I was crying. And, uh, you, you, the Michael Chandler thing, right, with his son. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on the floor like, oh, do, do you know about this, Chi Chi? Ray's, Ray told me about it on the last episode. Oh, goodness. It was like, <laughs> we can't have nothing. It was like, it was like, like they brought him on Black History Month because he adopted a black son. Man, man, he he looked confused. Like, what, what? I thought I was talking about my son. <laughs> he looked at me like, what are y'all? <laughs> that, was, that was horrible. And then after, mm-hmm. I, I think the next year I got hired. You know, I, I, I'm not the two are related, but it was like, it was obviously a problem. But but that was like the yeah. peak of the problem. Like, yo, y'all don't know what y'all talking about. But Mm-hmm. But in a smaller sense, yeah, when it did it with like the black fighters, and and it's like um, I could tell their story, you know. I started brought, bringing in more hip hop, more trap, more drill music. I started doing all that stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe then Imani can answer this as well as you, Ray. I'd like to also get your perspective on this. Then Imani, you raised the point of like how basically boxing has had that that foundation and it has had the time to grow and mature as a sport and get to that point where. Um, there's more diversity and all of that. Do we think that MMA will and can also get to that point eventually? Yeah, yeah, they, they, that's where they're going towards. They're, they're trying to MMA um, boxing is international, but MMA is like really international. Like, like, like mm. you're talking about One um, FC proved that so much that they were like, you can you can go to a small um, Southeast uh, Asian country and make superstars. So. Um, I'm a witness, and like I said, I see a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. They're building a strong Chinese um, uh, MMA community. You know, the UFC is actively yeah. building one. They're building strong communities in different places. Um, was it uh, Francis Ngannou became came? Was it the ambassador for all of Africa, or or something like that for the PFL or yeah, something? For PFL like Africa. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so they're actively trying to build these strong communities in different places. So, uh, I, I mean, I don't think I know it's going to head in that direction. Ray, right. do you also agree? If you can repeat your question real quick for me, Chichi. Basically, whether you think that MMA is also going to go in the same direction as boxing and grow and become more diverse. I think so. I think so. I think uh, Imani alluded to it as well. It's, it's just you, you, you're you seeing it branch out in different parts of the world. And you're seeing um, with the the Dagestanis with the the Russians they're getting more into it you see of course with Brazil they're getting into it bit by bit you see in East Asia like uh, Imani said with China and Thailand um, you're seeing all these different parts uh, they're branching out you're branching out um, and I think it's going to make a, a, a huge difference I think it's going to make a really huge difference so yeah i i do see that in the future as far as like the sport as a whole branching out and becoming more diverse yeah oh yeah that's what we're looking for yeah let's get some black faces black history month let's put some black faces in the cage in the ufc (laughs) behind the camera and in front of the camera indeed indeed now one question that i did come to mind for me imani when you were explaining just like your 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 roots with uh ufc and you mentioned how kind of the, the lack of that diversity is kind of a reason why you got out. And some may argue, oh, well, you got to be the change that you want to see. You yeah. got to stick it out in there because how are people 
going, how are other people going to be uh, influenced if you're not there to provide it? What was, what was your, uh, what was kind of like the, the impetus for you just being willing to say, you know what, I, I, I can't wait. <laughs> I got, I got the go. Well, no, that, that, that was more personal and professional. Honestly, it's the best mm-hmm. job I ever had. I, I would have stayed. I would have, um, I, I would have been that change because as you could probably tell, it's hard for me to keep my mouth shut. So, um, <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. But I was actively for, for me, it was a service to the fighters. It wasn't a job to me. It was like, mm. okay, I'm gonna tell these stories. So, so they'll, they'll give me black stories to tell. And I'm like, I got to tell these stories, right? Because nobody else here can do that. So mm. I, I, I loved it. I, I, I enjoyed it. It was more personal for me. I was just a point in my career where, where I wanted my, my, my um, professional independence again, I wanted to be, be my own boss and I wanted to be, be with my community um, of, of peers that I've, I've grown and raised with to sort of build something new. So that's what I did. I started my own network. But but yeah, yeah, I, I still um, independent contractor for the UFC. They still send me all of their uh, they, they, they send me a, a lot of more diverse stuff, black stuff. They send me all of, like the the Brazilian stuff. And so I keep telling them I don't speak Portuguese. Why y'all keep sending me this stuff? <laughs> Yeah, but um, but yeah, yeah. So um, I I I would have stayed. That's my. But it was personal reasons why I left. Gotcha, gotcha. And and as we kind of wind down with your time with us, and for that we appreciate you being with us. We do want to. I do want to get into you as you mentioned starting your own network. If you just wanted to go ahead and plug the Imani Network, I know you're now in a different space. It's kind of like a bit further away from MMA and you're doing more arts, culture, poetry, things like that. So just go ahead and let the good people know what the Amani network is all about. Sure. I'll actually tell the story as a transition. Um, (laughs) Like I said, I'm from a small town, Baltimore, but like a lot of small towns, there's great talents with no outlets. So Mm -hmm. it's almost like a gold mine, but, but, but for me, my martial arts journey sort of ended. Like I got to the age where I really couldn't fight competitively anymore. Um, and the UFC, right before I left, they put me in a commercial for the Contender Series. And I got to fight in the cage with a local fighter, somebody I trained with down the street. We, we damn near had a real fight. Like, like I, I got injured. And I was like, wow. And so I was yeah. looking back on it like, wow, I just fought in the cage in the UFC. You know, it happened in a weird way. Like, but so this is like as good as it's going to get as far as my MMA journey goes. So I was like, all right, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to move on. So let me see. Uh, I, for personal reasons, I moved back to my hometown. I was like, this is a gold mine of talent. So I, I wanted to create a platform for all the talent, uh, singers, rappers, dancers. I call it um, urban cultural arts or um, black cultural arts, where it's sort of anti-ratchet stuff. That I don't like promoting negativity. So I try to f- find like like positive artists of all genres and then Give them a platform. Uh, you can find Imani Network on, on Instagram. Um, right now it's a startup, so it's social media based. Uh, eventually we'll get to the full website rollout and then streaming services, longer form content. But Imani Network, um, Instagram, Imani Network, TikTok, the Imani Network on YouTube and um, Facebook. And uh, yeah, yeah. so just keep looking out, just, just promoting um, positive black arts and entertainment culture. I love that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, mean, I love that so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just check it out. Let me know what y'all think. Definitely. All right. That, yeah, that, that's all I got. Hey. Is, is he still there? Did he freeze? Oh, no. All right. Are I we taking the show? Am I here? Okay. We're here. <laughs> Am I back? 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it's catching up. Yeah. Yeah, that, that doggone Xfinity boy. I, what do I pay for it? No, no. This is all I need is just a stable internet. There's nothing else going on. I don't know what's going on, but I appreciate <laughs> you uh, sticking around with us, Imani. Thank you for sharing your story. And guys, go ahead, check out the Imani Network on all platforms that were mentioned. Uh, Imani Millier, thank you for just stopping by and getting a chance to talk with us. Appreciate no, thank you. Thank y'all. It's good, good, good meeting you, Chi for the first time. Nice to meet you. I hope to see you again. And Likewise. Then- and then Ray, you know, I, I uh, we, we we got a date. I gotta choke you out. G, <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, yeah. I don't care. We got it. I, no, of course, man. I, I'm always down the train, man. Of course, just let me know. Hit me All up. Right. All right, thanks, so. Peace. Peace. All right. Uh, again, good, good brother, Mani Moya, and yeah, we we actually we we knew each other, and we we got involved with actually training with one another. Uh, shout out to College Park Mixed Martial Arts, uh, now known as Combative Principles Mixed Martial Arts because they're no longer in College Park. But shout out to that gym. Shout out to Josh Peters, who's the instructor, the instructor and the head of that gym. So appreciate Imani again. again Thank you. Ray. Yes, yes. Ray. The question here is, are you going to fight back when he puts that choke on you? Yeah. Do you oh, have a, a counter? <laughs> of course. I'll, of course. I got to know which choke he going to put on first. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I'll, I'll be ready. I'll be ready. I know a little something. something. I know a little something. But, um, okay. well, we're going to go ahead and transition on in a bit. We're going to go ahead in a little bit focus on the last big UFC event, UFC 298. We're going to move on and discuss the main event just right after this. What's going on, brothers and sisters? It's your man, 50 Grand, the Godfather, Nate Milton. I want to thank you for listening to this production of the Kings of Sport Podcast Network. And we're just going to take a little brief pause for the cause really quickly. See, we've been around for 10 years, since 2013. We've been out here on these podcast streets, and we want to keep this thing going. And part of keeping that thing going is by introducing new voices to the network, by introducing new shows to the network, by creating new content on the network. And there's a way that you can help us. Yes, you, listening to this right now. And I know you're saying to yourself, Seth, how can I help the Kings of Sport? Well, there's a couple ways you can do that. Way number one, follow us on all of our socials. We talk in Facebook. We talk in Twitter. We talk in YouTube. Hit that subscribe button, and that way you'll be up to date on everything that we drop. Also, share us with your friends. Sharing is caring, and we know y'all care about us. So share the show, share clips from the show, share audio from the show with your friends if you feel like this is something that they'd be interested in. The final way you can help us out here is with the Patreon. Yes, you've heard us say it a million times, and you'll probably hear us say it a million times more. $5 gets you in the door. But if you want to pay more, we won't stop you. It's a free country, baby. 
Yes, for the cost of a quarter tank of gas, for the cost of a book of stamps, for the cost of a cup of coffee, a very, very small cup of coffee at Starbucks, for the cost of a biggie bag. You can show your love to everybody here working hard at the Kings of Sport. And that enables us to not only produce more content, but also, you know, to get content out in a more timely fashion. So, again, we want to thank everybody that's been rocking with us for the past 10 years. And we are so excited to look forward to what is to come. So we thank you so much on behalf of my man, Chris, the professor, on behalf of the nephew, Andrew Thompson, on behalf of 10-Day Ray Williams, on behalf of the maestro, Chinyere Okafor, and on behalf of the silent partner, Brother Lightskin Marcus Vandenberg. We just thank you. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, let's keep this thing going. Y'all can be down with the Kings. And with that, let's get back to the show. All right, we're back. And again, we want to thank our special guest from before, Brother Imani Moya, just stopping by and gracing us and just letting us know some stories about his backstory and some stories about what inspired him to become a figure within the MMA community. So with that, we're going to go ahead and move right on to UFC 298 happening in the to- Toyota Center in Anaheim, California. Was it Anaheim or San Diego? Anaheim. Okay. I got it right this time. And <laughs> our, our main event, uh, Alexander the Great Volkanovski was looking to defend his UFC featherweight championship against Ilya Toporia. And first off, I do want to go ahead and mention some of the skits that he put on. Oh, and by the way, for those who don't know, uh, one of our empresses or one of our queen of sports favorite fighters is one Alexander Volkanovsky. And he had some he had some great skits. I, I love the uh, <laughs> over 35 stuff he was doing. I believe there was a, a, a betting outlet in Australia that he was doing some commercials for. And I, I just love, especially he was keeping it going into the pre-fight post-conference where he was uh, falling asleep at the stage. Yep. But, but unfortunately, that was probably a sign of things to come because... He had put to sleep. <laughs> by I mean, why would you do it? Why would you do it like that? Why would you say that? Why would you oh, say that? I, I don't. I'm sorry. I, I think Elliot Taporia knew it was his bedtime. Uh, he, he's getting pretty older. He's getting up there past 35. So, and, and he saw the commercials. So, but <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about that transition in my head. I was like, should I do this to Chi-Chi? I'm sorry, Chi. It, it was just. It was right there. In my in the palm of my <laughs> hand, but um, Volkanovski succumbs to Taporia via KO stoppage in the second round. What were your thoughts on this fight, Chichi? First of all, everyone knows that I'm a very emotional person. I'm not an analytical person, so I was going in there like Volk is gonna get back. Okay, Volk is gonna get this. Come on, come on, come on. You know, 
Mm-hmm. And then for that result to happen, I was was devastated to say the least. Oh, I was not happy. I was not happy with anybody. And um, my friends knew that I was rooting for Alex. Like I was riding hard for him. So I got a few calls immediately as it happened. And they were like, I told you he was not going to come out of this. <laughs> Still with that title. I was so upset, Ray. Like genuinely so upset. Because it's the second time he's getting knocked out. Oh, oh my word. Like the last time he fought was at 294, I think, against right. um, Islam Makachev. And mm-hmm. he got knocked out there. But I was like, you know what? It's not going to happen again. It can't happen twice in a row. Come on, risk. Like, come on, MMA gods. You can't do that to me. Mm. And it happened. It happened. When I saw him go down, I immediately was like, oh no. And I was like, I know Ray's going to bring this up. And I don't know what I'm going to tell him. <laughs> but, um, now, a lot of people, I know there's some people that are thinking that, oh, well, maybe he didn't have enough time to recover between that fight with Islam Makachev. Like, do you think that that was kind of the case? I mean, I know usually four months is usually a standard amount of time between fights, but a lot of people hmm. are, are kind of thinking that maybe he's coming back too soon. What was your case? Um. So I did see some people saying that like maybe he came back a little bit too soon. But for me, I'm a person who I believe in staying active. Like uh, mm-hmm. when, when you when you lose, I think it's good to take a break, definitely. But also don't now take a, such an extended break that by the time that you come back, you might have, you know, ring rust type of vibe. So keeping active is something that I, I really do encourage. Uh, and like you're saying, four months is a standard time. So it's not like he had a quick two month turnaround time or something like that. But, um, and he went in very confident. So I don't think it was a lack of preparation on his side. I think it just happened that Ilya was the better man on the night. So I don't think that, you know, he, he rushed his return, but I don't know. What do you think, Ray? Well, I, I think that, like you said, I think it, it is usually the standard time between fights is around three to four months. Uh, camp yeah. usually takes like 10 to 12 weeks. So I think it was a, a standard amount of time. And I think he was in the right mindset. I just think um, he wasn't as, I think he wasn't as active as he usually is on the feet and like with his takedowns. I took a few notes um, oh. when I look back at some of his uh, older fights. Maybe the analyst in the building, guys. Oh. <laughs> I try. I try to keep some stats in my head every once in a while. But um, when I was looking back at just a few of uh, his fights from previous, um, mm-hmm. excluding the second uh, Makachev fight, and I'm looking and I'm seeing that he either had a significant uh, advantage in the amount of strike landed uh, over his opponent, or he had an advantage with his takedowns and his um, takedown attempts. So yeah. when I look back, all right, I could go back as far as his fight with the Korean zombie, Korean zombie. He had both. So his uh, striking advantage was 152 to 51. Mm-hmm. And, he had landed four out of eight takedowns in that fight. So he cruised mm-hmm. on the victory in that one. His last fight with Max Holloway, while he didn't have any takedowns, he did outstrike Holloway 204 to 161. So he was able to move around a bit and get off more strikes against Max, which is a feat in, in and of itself when you know the output that Max Holloway can put up from time to time. Yeah. His first fight in 
with Islam. While he didn't land any takedowns, he, he attempted four but didn't land any takedowns. He did outland um, Islam in strikes 164 to 95. But as we look, oh, and then we go on to his fight with Yair Rodriguez, and he landed seven out of 16 takedowns. So again, he either had a significant advantage and his strikes landed, or he had his significant advantage when he gets his wrestling together. Um, yeah. With Ilya, he only attempted one takedown, and his striking advantage was 47 to 36. So while he still had more strikes, of course, we saw that Ilya had the more intentional mm-hmm, and had the more devastating power within his strikes. And I think I mentioned before, I was I was just watching, or I think I mentioned this off camera or off air. Um, I was watching just a breakdown that Luke Thomas had on his channel as far as that main event fight and just seeing the setups that Taporia was kind of giving and making Volk move in the direction that he wanted to move and just seeing like the style of defense Volk was kind of more leaning back and he was kind of still doing the cross blocking a bit but he was more leaning back and still if you close that distance and you close that space and you don't give Volk to uh, a chance to move around as much like he's pretty squirrely when he's like in the center of the cage but once you get him towards that cage like or towards the fence however um it gets really hard for him to gauge distance and temporia was just setting it up beautifully and you saw several times that he was aiming with that right hand to land um and while it was only like glancing blows at first, or maybe he might have missed entirely. You already saw the idea in his mind and the way he was setting up his footwork and, and the way he was just, again, directing Volk in the way, even if he didn't catch him, he would have Volk retreating in a direction where he knew that he was going to cut off the cage and look to finish the fight. So I, I think it's more about Ilya and not as much about Volk and what was going on. Um, I think while he did have the striking advantage, I think more of those strikes were just in a defensive um, area. And he was throwing some pretty good leg kicks as well, but there there were more in the vein of like the jab to kind of keep Taporia away as opposed to Taporia, who was looking for some big knockout shots um, yeah. pretty much the entire time that the fight was going on. I think you're definitely accurate with that, especially because, like you're saying right now, it seems like, well, first of all, Ilya's been coming up in the division, right? And he's been, you know, if you watch his fights, you see it's okay. This man is kind of it, you know what I'm saying? But Mm -hmm. he showed such a high level of a fight IQ in that match, you know, just being able to be like, okay. It's like he knew he was going in there against the champion and he knew that this was perhaps the most prepared that he'd have to be. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, well shout out to Ilya. Do you see anything next for either your guy Alex or the champ? I want Alex to rest. I do want him to rest cuz then man anytime the UFC calls him and they're like, "Yo, we need we need somebody." He's like, "I'm there." And it's like, "Bro, no. <laughs> Can you just chill for a second, please." Like 
my heart can't take it anymore. But um, because <laughs> I know he's talking about like UFC 300, like well, he hinted at it a little bit at least. Um, and right now, Ilya is basically talking about you know Spain. He's pushing UFC Spain big time. Oh, yeah. He is pushing that. And Volkanovski is like, okay, cool. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna take my break. But don't think that I'm not gonna come back for my title because it's my title. Right. I'm coming back for my title. So you know. I feel like a rematch might be in the cards, but maybe not now. No. Maybe not now. Um, featherweight division is one of the most stacked divisions in the UFC. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So, Ilya really has his... He has a lot of people that he could face. But I'm not sure if we're going to see him at UFC 300. I don't know. Uh, do you think that we could see Ilya at 300 or perhaps later only? <sighs> I think we're, they're going to wait a little bit later and we're going to get into kind of some of the developments surrounding UFC 300 a little later on. But I, I think I think he's going to give it some time. And he's mentioned in the post fight press conference that he really doesn't see any of the, the top fighters. He really doesn't want to uh, kind of go against right now because he receives them as retreads, a.k.a. Uh, Max Holloway or Calvin yeah. Cutter or. He sees them as guys who need to prove that they can finish first when we talk about uh Evloev, I believe. Um yeah. I I think he he I think now that he, he has the title, he, he kind of has the keys of the kingdom in his hand. I, I think he's gonna yeah, savor it. I think he's gonna take his time. Um and, but I, I'm sure just like any other champion, he's gonna be like if if Dana needs him somewhere, he he's gonna take it. Uh, um, yeah. I think that is a good idea, and I think that was mentioned by um, Luke Thomas as well. The the possibility of him waiting for them to get to Spain, the the yeah. the, 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 the the time that they're going to have that st- Spain card. As far as uh, Alexander, I think I think there is something to you saying that he does need to take a break. Um, from what I heard, that from our Friends at Post Wrestling, um, John John Pollock and uh, Eric Marcotte, uh, they were talking about how after he fought or prior to him fighting Makachev the second time, he signed a new deal. So I think now that he does, like he, he signed a new contract with a mm-hmm. bit more money. So now that he does have that financial security I think, and the UFC can trust them to step up when they need them to. Like he kind of has that that um, safety net, so he doesn't have to brush back. So um, exactly. But again, when he comes back, he's gonna have to fight the people he already beat again. Like it'll be what if he has to fight Max again? That'll be what the fourth, fifth time he fought Max. And then if you have to go through um, Yair again, you know, it oh. just be the, yeah. some of the same. So um, I, th- I think he, he does have some time to get his head together, um, make mm. sure that his family is all taken care of, and then he can come back on his own terms. Uh, of course, they have a tremendous gym that they're out of with um, with uh, City Kickboxing. So and, yeah. and I'm sure Barrowman, uh, the head coach there, is going to make sure that he's making the right decisions for himself. So we'll see. But then, Ray, what did you make of Ilya's call out 
uh, of Conor McGregor. Mm, that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> that's not happening. Um, unless, unless Ilya wants to go up to 170 or 185, there's no way right. Conor's gonna, <laughs> no way Conor's gonna come back to uh, 145. Um, no way. We we don't even know if he's coming back for sure for At this all. fight against Michael Chandler. So did you did you hear um D- Dana White's post fight press conference speech? I don't I know if you got a chance to, to watch it. Yeah, yeah I, basically yeah. when he was talking about Conor McGregor, he was basically saying that he's not even sure if we'll ever see Conor McGregor at one forty five ever again, right? No. Um, and then Ilya was like, "No, I never said I want him at featherweight. I'm just saying that I do want him." So we're like, mm. "Okay, dude, whatever." <laughs> but like, and then um, Dana went on to actually talk about Connor, and he kind of alluded to he didn't okay he didn't come out like outright and say that we might never see connor in the ufc ever again but he did mention that you know when there's money um like in in the conversation it does become a bit more complicated because you know he's now rich and he's busy with the promotion for uh roadhouse so like he he doesn't know he doesn't know if he will come back he might come back but he doesn't know so I think if Connor does come back, I don't see him going up against Ilya. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm sorry. I just don't see it happening. No, like Ilya doesn't have a big enough name for Connor to kind of spark interest. And plus, again, if you have the featherweight champion who has to come up, first off, you're already showing your hand there that you're saying. Oh, I I don't want him here. I I'll go up to him. So now you're already showing that there's a distinct level. There's like there's like yeah. levels between you and Connor. So now you're having without even Connor having to say anything, you're letting mm. Connor dictate the terms, and which is not a good mood. Especially because <laughs> so he's the champion. Like, yeah, exactly. And so it's it's kind of like I, I see what you're doing. You're, you're trying to get some attention, but at the same time, you're kind of making yourself look less than a bit. So, like, yeah. build your name, like build your name in that division first, and then if you want to like go step by step and maybe become like a double champ, like Connor was, then maybe you might get Connor's interest. But that's gonna that's gonna be a long time coming. Like you said, the featherweight division itself is stacked let alone if he wants to go up and try to do 155 against that hammer at the top there so we'll we'll see what happens i i mean like i said good on him for trying to get his name out there and trying to connect himself with connor but at the same time uh i don't think he want those headaches and not even as far as like headaches or problems as far as having connor actually fight him in the cage but just waiting for kind of, like look see yeah. michael chandler wow. <laughs> if you want to talk about a man <laughs> that, that has to wait this man has been waiting on connor for like almost two years <laughs> exactly and like and he's supposed to be and we talked about it uh, in earlier episodes like chandler is like just now heading out of his prime and kind of heading towards the twilight of his career. But he's still like one of the top, top lightweights in the division. So he's literally given up a year and a half 
just to get this big, big money fight with Connor. Yeah. And it's kind of just stuck in limbo now. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Nah. So, yeah, learn, Ilya, learn from Michael Chandler's mistake. Well, nah, it wasn't even a mistake, but learn from <laughs> Michael Chandler. You you don't want those headaches when you, you're trying to get a fight booked with Connor. Um, Facts. Any, any more thoughts on the main event? I on the main painful. event, it is painful. Oh, my word. <laughs> it is painful. Uh, who else is in that featherweight? You know what it is, no? I'm not sure about worldwide, but I would like to believe that this is the case maybe worldwide also. Um, the featherweight division, for example, here, we have a promotion called EFC, Extreme Fighting Championship. Mm-hmm. The featherweight division is one of the most exciting divisions here. Like, I think probably I would say it is one of two most exciting divisions here. And obviously we know that the UFC is always trying to bring in new talent and all of that and all of that. So I think Ilya is definitely going to have his work cut out for him. He's going to have new people coming into the division and coming into the fold. So he just needs to relax, you know, enjoy being a champion. I saw he had his um, gender reveal like literally 24 hours after knocking out our boy. Wow. Um, girl, by the way, spoiler alert, it's a girl. But hey. um him and his girlfriend, they already have a they have a son together, and now they are going to be having a baby girl. But um uh yeah. Oh, also shout out to Ilya because did you see when like he won and his family and his friends came in, all of them are like dappered up in like black, you know, black is my favorite color to wear, and I feel like black is the best color to wear. It looks so good on people, so they just look so cool, man. I was just like, hey, what's up? You know, even though my heart was hurting, but I was very happy with that. <laughs> oh, oh. Well, shout out to Ilya. Congratulations for the uh, upcoming baby and congratulations on winning your fight. And Alexander, we, uh, brother Volkanovsky, we, we, I keep calling Volkanovsky is Volkanovsky. <laughs> uh, we, we send you our, our best wishes and we hope that you're able to get whatever you need to get taken care of with your family, take all the rest you need. And we look forward to you mm. coming back, brother. All right. So as we move on and again, we're not going to go fight by fight. If you want deep fight by fight analysis, again, go to our, our good friends over at post wrestling with uh, John Pollock, Eric Marcotte, they just had a deep, comprehensive review of all the fights from last night. We're just going to touch on those that stand out, but we want to give those good brothers uh, some shout outs. And please go ahead, if you haven't already, go ahead and tune over to Post Wrestling. After you finish listening to us, go ahead and tune over to Post Wrestling and check out their coverage on UFC 298. All right. So. Yeah. I saw that. I knew that we did have Whitaker. Again, we're just going to do some quick hits from some of these fights, um, primarily on the main card. But um, yeah, we see that Robert Whitaker was able to get a victory over Paulo Costa. Uh, Robert Whitaker, for about 90% of the fight, uh, was pretty much in control. And then it took 10 minute or 10 seconds and a good yeah. spinning wheel kick to kind of almost derail that. But how do you feel about Robert, Robert Whitaker um, again, establishing himself, maybe not as the number one contain, uh, contender, but 
as a top contender in that division. And uh, he's only 33. He's only 33. He and he's he's been a staple within this division for about the last five years. So what do you think about his victory over uh, Bohachina? <laughs> so I'm actually one of the people who was so wrong because I've always thought he was older. Robert Whittaker, that is. I've always thought he was older. So I was mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, like when he lost to Izzy, I was like, okay, this is the end of him and whatever and whatever and whatever. New era. But then when you realize how young he actually is, it's like, damn, mm -hmm. <laughs> I've been out here coming at this man for no reason. But I'm, I'm glad to see him coming back, you know, especially after that loss against Drickers. He does have, you know, some standing ground in terms of that he did get beaten by the person who went on to become the champion and he himself is a former champion. So this could put him right on track back to being, you know, um, potentially a, a title contender. So this is becoming a very exciting and very intriguing division, the middleweight division that is. Uh, Paulo Costa looked good. I was happy to see him finally actually enter the, the octagon because, you know, you know, Paulo Costa's out here with the shenanigans, but oh, I was yeah. glad. <laughs> but I was glad that he actually made it in and he did his thing, man. He did his thing. He really did like put on a good fight. It wasn't like one of those where you're like, okay, Polo, brah, no. But it was just actually like, you know, like I really enjoyed this fight. So, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And you just reminded me too. This is like the last fight he was scheduled for. And then he just came out. It was like, oh, I got this huge softball thing in my elbow i can't go i was like wait why didn't you tell anybody that before <laughs> but yeah it's always kind of wishy-washy with him as far as knowing like his real intention about whether or not he wants to be a championship contender and you mentioned before sometimes he'll get in the cage and he'll have like some sleepers and not in a good way but i think what comes to mind is that fight he had against uh was it yoel or i think yoel romero I may be thinking about Yoel Romero and Izzy, but I think Yoel Romero and Paulo Costa had a fight together too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, it, and it was kind of like they were kind of playing off each other and it was kind of a snooze fest as far as like one person didn't want to fall in a trap and get knocked out by the other. And so, um, like yeah. you said, it's good to see that he did put on a decent performance and that he was able to get his head together and have his body together for the most part for this fight. But Robert Whitaker goes on and, and again, still one of the top in the division, one of the class in the division. And again, to, to echo what you said, you don't realize how young he is because I remember he, he came up when they had the ultimate fighter, I was believe it was UK versus Australia. And that was yeah. a long time ago. I think that, was, <laughs> that might, that might've been going on maybe 10 years ago. It might even be a little bit more. And he's been in the UFC ever since. And um, yeah. yeah, just to see his progression and he's just a, a all around good guy. So, I'm I'm glad to see, and I always root for my fellow gamers too. So, shout wow. out! To he, ain't, he ain't in his mama's basement. He out here knocking folks out, people. <laughs> but um, let's go ahead and move on. Um, I to the aforementioned quote unquote Brock Lesnar of the UFC welterweight division. We got our guy, uh, Ian Machado Gary, who 
in his last fight, he took out Neil Magny, who's a perennial top 10, top 15 welterweight. And in this fight, he goes out, gets the split decision win over Jeff Neal. Any any thoughts on this fight for you, Chi Chi? Um, I mean, it was it was a cool fight. Honestly, I oh my word. This is gonna sound very conflicting, I guess, right? And contradicting. But I'm a person who I don't like I'm I'm fine with fighters, you know, talking their their, their trash to each other and all of that and mm-hmm. all of that. But at the same time, I'm not really a fan of when fighters' personal lives have to come into things, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and they kind of steal the spotlight off of the fight because the whole time that I was watching that fight, honestly, I was thinking about Ian's wife. I'm thinking about um the wife's ex-husband being his nutritionist you know like there was just a lot of noise around the whole situation around the around ian in general there's just a lot of noise around him so Mm -hmm. i think it kind of takes away from what he's trying to do if i'm being quite honest but um yeah man it was a it wasn't it was a good fight i i thought joff won it Mm -hmm. but then again you know i don't know That, that that's just what i thought but then, you know, like you said, split decision. The only three judges who matter are the ones who are there at the octagon side. So that's that on that. But also you calling him the Brock Lesnar. <laughs> the Brock Lesnar of the UFC is crazy. But I do see. I do see it. I do see it. <laughs> and then eventually he'll have to go through. A, if he gets to the top, he's going to have to go through Leon Edwards. And then, oh. <laughs> so yeah, he's for now he's the unintentional villain of Black History Month. One Ian Machado Gary, uh, but we'll see. And and I know I've always like I've heard rumblings about the things with his wife, but I never heard like specifics. And so when you yeah. mentioned like the ex husband being a nutritionist, yeah, that that seems to be pretty problematic. And I know I think there was some chatter, I believe, between him and it might have been either Kobe or somebody who said something about his wife. But um, yeah, 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 just... like because uh, he he explained it the other day. I saw like an article. Uh, I didn't quite read it, but like I just skimmed through it, and he was basically explaining that the reason why he hired that guy as his nutritionist is so that the guy could be close to the kids that he has with the his wife, his current mm-hmm. wife. So I'm like, okay, it does make sense. But I'm also like, it is a little bit weird though, isn't it? <laughs> like just a little yeah. bit weird. Um, I'm like, why, why are you thinking about it? It's like, yeah. I, 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 like I, I understand like you're being considerate and, and respectful to uh, like your stepkids. But yeah. It's like, yeah, it's, I don't know. Yeah, no. yeah. And I, like I said, I feel like it does take away from what he is trying to do because now you'll go ahead and search Ian Machado, Gary, and all that's going to pop up is his wife and mm-hmm. the nutritionist and um, him fighting with who was he fighting with the other day? Because I don't know, they were like having some sort of dispute about him not wanting to be on the podcast or something like that. And I was mm. like, Ian. You know, there's like a good problematic where it's like you're always in the news, but then there's like a bad one where it's like, brah, it's taking away from things that you do in the octagon. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what's happening with him. So yeah. I think like the comp for guys like him, for, for Gary and guys like uh, Patty Pimblin, the comp is always going to be a, a, a Conor McGregor. It's always going to be like yeah. 
if you like you said, if you're going to take it, have your personal life in 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 the limelight, then you got to have that balance. Or if you're going to talk about other people and if you're going to go in on other people, you got to have that balance of still remaining humble enough to where you, you're not getting your head too big and then you're not being problematic in your words uh, on mm-hmm different outlets on different podcasts with different with media. So I don't know. Uh, hopefully, hopefully he learns as he, as he goes forward, but we, we, we've seen people kind of fall down that slope of kind of getting taken over by their own hype. And yeah. hopefully he doesn't fall down that track. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, and one more thing I wanted to touch on from this card, uh, it was uh, I believe her name is Amanda Lemos getting Yay. the victory over our girl. Where is she at? Where is she at? And this was at the uh, prelims. Uh, Mackenzie, Mackenzie Dern. Dern. Yeah. Mackenzie Dern. Um, oh, and well, we'll go through that. And then I also did want to mention our guy. And you were mentioning it before. Like, you, you like the trash talk. You like the spec talk. Um, I do. I'm more, I'm, I'm kind of in the vein of, I want to see your personality. I do want to see your personality shine, but you don't want always have to talk smack. And I think your boy uh, Volkanovsky did a tremendous example with those commercials that we were talking about. Um, just showing your personality. Like you could still be witty. You could still talk mm. trash, but be witty and be lighthearted with it. And the same goes for a gentleman who we'll bring up a little bit later, Marah. Devalish really that guy is hilarious but we'll, we'll talk more about him I, I just wanted to bring that up so I don't forget it but I did yeah. want to touch on Amanda Lemos versus Mackenzie Dern uh that that seemed to be a really really good fight um Dern just seeming to be as tough as nails um getting through what was it either a cut or a broken nose that she suffered in the first round and then just yeah. able to to come back from that and do her best to win the fight for I think I think some people's scorecards she had won. Uh she had gotten at least one round. But um it was funny and I do want to check out that clip where she put her hands up thinking they call her name. It's like Amanda and <laughs> Mackenzie are two different <laughs> but but um shout out to Amanda Lemush. Any thoughts on that fight? First of all, that whole thing keeps happening where, like, the fighters, I don't know whether it's the the atmosphere or what, but they keep hearing their name instead of the opponent's name. And, oh, my word. But, um, first of all, Mackenzie Dern is always that girl. She's always getting in there and putting on these these amazing fights that we're always going to be talking about. You know what I'm saying? So that fight of the night was very, very well-deserved. And, man, they brought it. The two ladies brought it. I was just happy that they that they got the fight of the night because I was like, well, Dana, you better do the right thing. <laughs> you better do the right thing there. But um, yeah, man, it was a really enjoyable fight. It's definitely one of those fights that I think I'm going to go and look and watch it back perhaps to see it and um, be a little bit more analytical with it because, you know, me, like I said, I'm the type to just watch a fight and just enjoy it and just be like, yo, they're going at each other and then I forget to like score it in my head. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things where, man, I, I always enjoy seeing the women fighting. I always enjoy it because I know that they are going to bring it. 
And mm. that is exactly what they did. So I'm happy. That's good. That's good. Yeah. You're the opposite of Sean Strickland, but <laughs> good on you. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, I, I, I just, yeah, I love all kinds of mis- uh, mixed martial arts. And I just love, like, especially if you're skilled, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It's like if you're skilled and you're putting out a, a, a great defense or not defensive, but a great technical display, like you – like it doesn't matter who you are. That's how I got wrapped up in uh, Ronda Rousey. It's just like it doesn't matter yeah. who she is, man. She's just whoever you are. She's gonna catch you in the armbar. Like it doesn't matter who you are. And so it's just I'm I'm loving just this stuff. Like it doesn't matter. Again, doesn't matter for gender. I, I know one of my favorite fights, um, uh, Wei Li Zhang Wei Li versus. Yeah. Uh, Yonage and Jake check one. I think they had two that fights. Was great. First one, yeah. Oh, that's one of my favorite fights like ever. Um, mm. but yeah, shout out to uh Mackenzie Dern, shout out to Amanda Lemos for getting the victory. Mackenzie Dern, I think it's safe to say she's not gonna be in the championship tier um at all. If yeah, it, anytime soon, if not at all, but she's showing that she is kind of improving as a fighter. I know she's had some troubles with switching camps and going to different gyms and stuff. And she's had some personal issues come up as, as far as like the divorce and everything. But, you know, hopefully she gets yeah. her hand in the game and she could still be like we were talking earlier about Robert Whitaker. She could still, even if she's not championship level, she can always be a good and I know this kind of has a bad connotation to it, but a good gatekeeper, like uh, yeah. you still have a job, you're still putting out exciting <laughs> fights and, and you're still going out here and, you, and you're earning your keep. So I, hopefully I think she's proven that she's tough enough and that she can have a bit of the versatility to try to change her game up as, as far as not being too one dimensional. She just has to be better at, defending wrestling shots i think it's like when you're in jujitsu you get so comfortable with being on your back and you get so comfortable with pulling guard or someone takes you down you you feel like that's your world already but sometimes it could be in the case of amanda lemos where she knows jujitsu too and she can avoid (laughs) like she can avoid all the big moves and all the things that you're trying to um that you're trying to implement while also having the higher ground, literally to throw down ground strikes and bust you up. So, yeah, yeah, I think Mackenzie Dern has to train more and she's still relatively young too. Like she has to be a bit more trained in the wrestling. I think uh, just working more on her takedown defense and keeping the the feet on the ground or the keeping the fight on the feet rather is going to be uh, beneficial because she does have some decent striking as well. We all know yeah. that jujitsu is her bread and butter, but again, if you go against another person who's like a black belt in jujitsu, even though they may not be a world champion, mm-hmm, and they may not be a world champion like you, but every style and I think Imani kind of alluded to this when he was on earlier. It's like. Mixed martial arts, it involves all of the styles. So 
you have to be worried about certain things that you wouldn't necessarily have to be worried about if you were only training strictly jujitsu. So mm-hmm. I think, um, I think Mackenzie just has to get her mind around being a full three-dimensional fighter and not just being a jujitsu fighter who knows how to strike or jujitsu fighter who knows how to defend a little bit against wrestling, but she has to be a more well-rounded fighter in the future. So, yeah. And that takes us to, I believe, unless you have any other fights that stood out on your mind, I think the one other fight, as we mentioned before, is uh, Marab Devalishvili getting a victory, a a convincing unanimous uh, victory over former champ champ, Triple C, Henry Cejudo. What do you think about Marab, who now his buddy uh, Funk Master isn't in the way? He doesn't have to worry about Aljermaine Sterling. Aljermaine Sterling, for the most part, is going up a division. Um, shout out to that brother as well, Black History. Um, Aljermaine Sterling doing big things, former champion. Wish him nothing but success in, in the featherweight division. But um, Marab, the lane is clear. Now all paths lead to Sugar Sean. Uh, well, at least if Sugar Sean gets through um, our guy. Cheeto Vera. Cheeto Vera. Yes, yes. How could I forget Ooh. that, brother? Cheeto Vera. Marlon Cheeto Vera. Um, but it looks like all roads lead to him getting the winner of that fight. So mm. uh, what do you think about Marab? Again, a tremendous hilarious presence on the internet. Um, what do you think about him making his march to possible Bantamweight goal? I think it's long overdue, honestly. Marab being in the title picture uh, and actually being, because he's been number one contender for a while now. But, yeah. you know, like you said, when Alja was there, it was a bit tough because they're friends. And I totally do get it. Um, it does make things a bit more complicated, but I do get it. But, um, I think now that Aljo's gone, mm-hmm. the path is clear for him. And I saw Sugar Sean just sitting there acting all unbothered and stuff in the crowd. And I was like, okay. Um, but, you know, Dana has said that, okay, yeah, um, whoever wins that bout is probably going to get Marab next. Um, funniest moment of the of the night actually was, well, one of the funniest moments of the night was when um, Mark Zuckerberg was in the crowd, right? And Marab actually like picked up Henry and took him there, like right yeah. to where he was at. And he was busy conversing with Mark. I'm like, what the hell, bro? Do you not like <laughs> yo, yo? But um, yeah, I think I think man, definitely, man. It's it's long overdue. Long overdue. I am very sad for Henry though. Um, mm. I don't know, man. Like you know, Ray, I think you might understand this, right? Because you and I were wrestling fans. We see it a lot in wrestling where people are like, Okay, I'm retiring, and they go for for a bit, and then they come back and they're like, I'm back, guys. And then, they, like, the ride might go really well or it might go really, really bad. And right mm. now for, for Sehudo, it feels like it's not going the way that he might have anticipated it going. And I don't know, man, it's starting to feel like a bit, like one of those situations where you're like, dude, maybe just retire again. I don't know. Yeah. But like, um, yeah. But also, did you did you see uh, in the post-fight press conference, Dana was basically saying that um, Henry had his moment to, you know, mm-hmm. retire, and he did retire, so this is not it. And I'm like, 
Yeah. So I don't know. What do you think about all that? Well, this may be one of the very, 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 very few times that I agree with Dana White. And and, and I think it did end up happening. I, I think as Marab was talking to Joe Rogan, I think Henry put his gloves in the ring again. Oh, he left. So I think this might be the the last time we see him in the cage and is I, I just think. Yeah, he had it. He had his chance. And whether or not he was doing that first retirement off of uh, play for a new contract or maybe trying to get a look from someone else, maybe it'd be a Bellator or a PFL or just trying to play promotions against each other. But regardless of why you did the retirement the first time, you retired the first time. Um, True. And you you had your moment. And the thing with Henry is, for me, he's always kind of been a complicated figure for me because, like, if you look on the surface, he's a gold medalist wrestler from the Olympics. And he, he's a two-time champion. And he, he's got a heart of gold, at least prior to him taking on uh, the triple C persona, but he got a heart of gold. He got a lot of knowledge for not just MMA, but especially for wrestling, just very yeah. knowledgeable, a great coach, him and his brother. Um, it's like, you want to see good stuff happen for that brother. But then, and again, this is what gets on my nerves about people thinking, Oh, well, I need attention on me. I need somebody. I, I, I need the public to be, be on me. So I'm a, play the heel. I'm going to be a bad guy just so that I get people on me. And you could see from the beginning, like it just doesn't work with him. And that's why they call him like the king of cringe because dude, just stop it. You, you, you're a good dude. You don't have to act. You don't have to act like you're this big rough and tumble guy. Like that's not who you are. And, and so it's, it's kind of been problematic for me in that aspect and kind of like that complicated history. And then I think there were some things coming out with him, uh, um, possibly, uh, probably f- firing his coach, his, his, his main head coach of like many years, uh, Eric Albacarusin. I'm butchering that name. Albacarin, I believe it is. Um, mm-hmm. Captain Eric and, Again, another complicated figure. That guy just gets on my nerves too sometimes. But um, <laughs> so I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't shedding tears when I heard that he got fired. But but if he actually, because I believe there's like a video of it that that was like the legitimate firing, and from what I hear, again lives up to him being the king of cringe. Like if that's like what he actually did to his coach like prior to him about to get into this fight it's like uh i don't really have much sympathy for you yeah so i don't know that's just me that's just me but i i wish him all the best though he he's not gonna miss any meals he'll be able to provide for his family he'll be okay yeah. he, he, he's a decent like i said he he has a tremendous smile for the sport i'm sure anybody would love to have him in like a commentator role or have him as a coach. But yeah, the, hopefully we can put all the, the King of cringe stuff to bed, the, the whole triple C persona. We could put that to bed. So, yeah. 
Yep. Any any other thoughts on UFC 298? Uh, UFC 298. Uh, nah, not really. I guess I guess now the only thing is the next one, the next big event. Indeed, indeed. While UFC 299 is proving I might actually spend my money on 299 and 300 <laughs> <laughs> especially hopefully i get a good tax return over here in the states uh yeah I, I might be tuning in because those looks like some huge cards but of course you're alluding to the biggest card um coming up ufc 300 we already got some big announcements we already know and as I was lamenting over and over again, uh, off air and between last episode and this episode, a day after we put this episode up or a day after we recorded the episode, yeah. of course, we hear the uh, woman whose name was escaping us for all of that first episode, uh, Kayla Harrison. She is no longer with PFL. She is now with the UFC, and she will be making her debut on UFC 300 against Holly Holm. What do you think about that matchup, Chi-Chi? Oh, first of all, um, I'm one of the people who's very, very worried about that fight being at bantamweight. I'm very, very worried about that. Mm-hmm. But you're not just saying that we shouldn't worry, but like my chat is you're walking at 160, 165, mm-hmm. and you usually drop down to just, you know, lightweight, which is 155. But exactly. now you have to drop all the way down to 135. So mm-hmm. I am a little bit worried about that. And I feel like at some point it might get moved up into maybe a featherweight bout or maybe just a catchweight bout of some sort. I don't know. But I I am very excited, though, to see it. Um, It's always very exciting, you know, when you see somebody making their promotional debut, um, especially someone who's already established themselves somewhere else. Um, And this is not only for people coming into the UFC, but people who also leave the UFC, maybe. Uh, Like, for example, Derek Brunson, when we saw him over at the PFL last Mm -hmm. year, you know, that is also exciting. So I am very excited to, Mm -hmm. to see the match. Holly Holm, Kayla Harrison. Holly Holm is obviously one of the the greats in the, you know, in the UFC. And so it's going to be great to actually see that matchup of like these two standout ladies who are out here showing what's up. And yeah, looking forward to it. Yes, indeed, indeed. Um, I am as well. I I would love love to see uh Holly home get back in there and I do want to see you know, a lot of people were saying is Kayla Harrison a real deal like she can go out here and she could dominate on PFL and she could do all this stuff with PFL but when you get into the realm where the the best fighters are and uh yeah inarguably the best fighters especially with the women's fighters are in the UFC so now is a time to test yourself. Now you got to start all over again. It's like no one's thinking about your run as a two or three time uh, tournament winner or through two or True. three time champ in PFL. No one's maybe some people are thinking about you being a, a judo Olympic champion, but right now you have to prove yourself at the very top. So uh, that's going to be, and it's, it's not going to be an easy matchup. It is uh, people are counting out Holly home, but Holly home has shown tremendous resiliency and she's shown tremendous longevity 
with just being able mm-hmm. to last this long. And so um, I think it's going to be a tough fight. And yeah, uh, Harrison better get the ground or the fight to the ground quick because we all know, <laughs> we all know Holly knows how to <laughs> gauge the distance between uh, a judo herself and a judo fighter. And she just needs yeah. a bit of space to land something and to put you to sleep. So we'll see what happens with that fight. And I do have the card so, up. Oh, go ahead. Do you think that she's going to be able to make 135 though? Um, Kayla Harrison, that is. No, I thought the fight was going to be at 145. Let me see. Um, do they have an announcement? Do they have it on here? I'm looking through yeah, topology. The- here it is. Yeah, 135. Wow. So I thought it was, yeah, I initially thought it was going to be 145. And I thought even that was going to be a struggle for Kayla yeah. Harrison to make. Because I do know in her last fight um, in PFL, that that Black Friday fight in November, that she had a catch weight. And I think she was around 150. So I was thinking in my head, if this was a fight with Holly Holm in 145, it'd be like, oh, it'll be a bit of a, It'd be a bit of a struggle for her to get down there, but uh, I'm yeah. sure she's a professional. She can make it, but 135, that's going to be tough. very tough, um, especially just, and, and it's not like Kayla Harrison is chubby or it, it's not like, like she is just ripped and it's like with m- muscle all over. And so it's going to be hard to try to cut because I, I doubt she has much fat on her, as it stands right now and so then it's going to be a part of depleting muscle and then you're taking away that frame and then that might be even more advantageous to holly home to um because kayla won't be as strong as she normally is when she's fighting those lightweight fights usually so um oh that's going to be very interesting i I don't don't think she's going to make it though yeah. So now I don't know if the UFC would be keen to do this all over again because you know the last time that they did it, it didn't quite work out, right? But maybe if they want to, right, they could p- potentially reintroduce and rebuild the women's featherweight division mm. and build it around Kayla. But then they would have to make sure that you see all these events that they have, um, contender series especially, they would need to make sure that they have a lot of women who could fill up that division and stack up that division because it's going to be tough because they basically starting from the ground up. Um, <sighs> because right now, bantamweight is the biggest division that they have for the women. So it is a bit tough. Yeah. And that's the thing too. Like we've saw that we've seen them experiment with building a division or building that particular division around one mm-hmm. fighter, whether it be around Cyborg or whether it be around Amanda Nunes. And that hasn't worked too much because you're not getting, you're rarely getting um, fighters who are built for that division. You're mainly getting fighters who are coming up from 135 and who are putting on weight. And that yeah. weight might not be like advantageous to them since they're so used to fighting at 135. Um, but something has to happen. Uh, I, I, I think it would be beneficial 
for that to happen for Kayla, whether or not they'll be able to find fighters again at that weight class that are meant for that weight class. I mean, you could see if you could bring over a cyborg again. I'm not sure, but yeah, I don't, I don't think that's in the cards for her. And that's very unfortunate. Well, I mean, again, she's a professional, so I'm sure she's going to do her best to get down to that 135. And if not, I doubt she is going to step on the cage and just miss weight. I think there's going to be something discussed ahead of time to where she's going to let them know maybe, maybe a few weeks out, Hey, I'm not going to hit this. Can yeah. we bump it up to 145 or something like that? Or like you said, a catch weight of like 140. So um, we'll see what happens with that. And then I don't know how she moves on if she can't make 135 um, consistently. And if they decide that one or 135, if she can't make that consistently and they decide like once and for all, 145 is dead and gone, like what she's going to do from there. Uh, she's a tremendous asset, but if she's going to be at 135, are we going to see her at her best? Yeah. That's my question. So, Definitely. Yep. We'll see what happens with that. And as I look down the card, well, it was also announced that for the main event, we have the two two division champ, Alex Pereira, taking on the man who never lost his belt, never lost. Mm. The, uh, light heavyweight champion, Jamal Hill. Then that, that has fireworks all over it. Uh, of course, Jamal Hill sustained an injury um, after defeating, I believe, uh, Jan Blahovich. he defeated, um, then sustained an injury, and then Yuri Prohaska won the belt, or was it the other way around? I believe Yuri Prohaska uh, won the belt, then he got hurt, then Jamal Hill won the belt, the interim belt, and then he got hurt, and so now Alex Pereira is the champion, and he's going to be facing uh, – the returning champ Jamal Hill for the undisputed light heavyweight championship. What do you think about that fight? And what do you think yeah. about it being the main event? So, cause I saw it, like I saw it somewhere on Twitter, right? Where someone was like, um, as soon as UFC 298 is over, they're going to announce on X what the main event for UFC 300 is. So mm-hmm. as soon as it was done, I was busy just refreshing on my phone. I'm just refreshing, refreshing, because I'm like, I need to know what's happening. I need to know what's happening. Um, of course, you know, there's been discourse about it in terms of like who exactly could be the main event. I was so convinced that it was going to be Leon Edwards because I was like, I don't think Conor McGregor is going to be coming back for that mm-hmm. event. I don't think it's going to be him. Um, and I was like... Well, I was hoping, not going to lie. I was, <laughs> I was hoping that the Drickers and Israel Adesanya fight doesn't happen on 300. I was hoping that it doesn't happen there. Because oh, that's, kind of like, that's kind of like our key to UFC Africa. So I was like, please, <laughs> please don't take that fight. Holding on, holding on to <laughs> UFC Africa. I was like, please, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But then um, I was like, Leon Edwards, I could, I could see him being the headliner for that event. And then they announced... Um, this fight, Pereira versus Jamal Hill. And I was like, oh, okay. Weird. 
I was a bit I was a bit confused, not gonna lie, I was a bit confused. I was like, are they sure this is the fight? You know, and then immediately <laughs> I saw a lot of people talking about like how underwhelming it is and the announcement is underwhelming and you know it's not it's not giving what it needs to give. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, I don't know. Oh, and then I saw a comment actually on X, which I think has a lot of merit. I can't remember what the exact comment was. But basically, earlier on in the night, UFC 301 was announced for May 4th. May 4th? Yeah. I think it was 301? May 4th. Uh, uh, 301, yes. UFC okay. 301 was announced for May 4th, and that's going to be in Brazil, right? Mm. Uh, Rio de, Rio yeah. de Janeiro, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be in Brazil, and so someone was like, um, "I'm not mad about the fight, like the you know Pereira versus Hill fight, but shouldn't you guys have maybe tried to save this one for 301? Because then you know." And I was like, "That makes a lot of sense. That would mm-hmm. make a lot of sense." So I don't know, man. For me personally, it feels like the UFC 300 card or the UFC 300 main event, particularly, um. Because they were trying. And like even in the press conference, Dana mentioned it, that they were like in a lot of discussions around the whole event and all of that. But I think they were trying to get something that was going to be like blockbuster. And maybe our expectations as the fans, some of us, it went up a bit too high. Like mine mine went up a bit too high. I'm very excited for Jamal Hill and Pereira. I'm very, very excited about that fight. But it's not the fight that I was thinking was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Essentially. But... Yeah. And that's the thing, too. It's like you can't fault those two guys for being chosen. It's just yeah. that, of course, when you think about UFC 100, you had Brock Lesnar on the top of the card. And you think about UFC 200, it was supposed to have been John Jones versus DC. And mm. then um, even if that fight fell through, you had uh, even Amanda Nunes versus i believe it was amanda nunez versus um my girl misha tate and yeah. even that was like pretty big you know um because that was the crowning of the lioness um and just seeing her ascension and then because she she just ran through misha ran through uh our girl ronda with the aforementioned ronda rousey ronda laquisha rousey black history month she's like an eighth so Shout out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's like when we get to like these hundreds, these hundreds, these hundreds, it's like you're always expecting something big. Like probably people were expecting uh, Brock Lesnar to come back again. That's not happening, especially with the stuff that's going on. Yeah, yeah. One more. One other thing that transpired as we, we were transitioning from episode to episode. Um with with the things that are going on with him being mentioned in a um a lawsuit and an investigation involving former WWE chairman Vince McMahon but yeah we we're not seeing Brock anytime soon we're not seeing John Jones um fighting Aspinall or Stipe or anybody at 300 I think that was the biggest thing that people were kind of banking on John Jones um being able to fight for 300 and either fighting Stipe or fighting Aspinall. But um, that wasn't be it. That, that wasn't able. I guess they weren't able to come to a terms or come to an agreement to have that fight happen. So for the most part, 
again, it's going to be a tremendous fight. Mm. <laughs> it's going to be a great fight. Like both men are going to go out and trying to put each other's lights out. And Definitely. so it's, yeah, it's going to be a great fight. Only thing is just in name recognition. Is this what the USC mm. actually wanted to be the topper of like their flagship event? And, um, I mean, you can only go with who's available. Like sometimes the best ability is availability and reliability as well, too. Like if if people if you can trust that people are going to be on the card and not end up hurt, like sometimes most times uh, injuries or things that come up are like freak accidents, uh, things that happen out of nowhere. But for the most part, you, you know, people who who are kind of durable and who can make it from fight camp to fight camp and, and pretty much still be in decent amount of shape. Fighters say all the time, Oh, well, you're never a hundred percent going into a fight, but if you can at least be durable enough to make it to the fight at about 90% as opposed to always having to restructure a fight, whether it be for injuries or whether it be for maybe failing drug tests or things like that. So those things are always, yeah, those things are always factors as well. And I I just think that this was the best fight that they could make. And I think it's a, a tremendous fight. And I think that even though what this card, it may lack and star power, like it more than makes up for as far as just quality up and down the card. When I'm looking at the card, again, we start from the main event. We got Alex Perea versus Jamal Hill. Then we go on to Zhang Weili defending her strawweight title against Jianan Yan. Two two country women going at it for China. Then you got Yuri Prohaska, the uh, aforementioned Yuri Prohaska against Alexander Rakic, which is going to be fireworks. Then you got mm. Calvin Cutter versus Aljo, another aforementioned brother. Um, they're going at it. Then you got Charles Oliveira, you know, one of My your favorite. other favorites, <laughs> taking on uh, Armand Z- Zarukian. That's going to be a good fight. Then, of course, you got the BMF title on the line between Justin Gaethje and Max Holloway. That's going to be something. Then Bo Nickel, uh, All-American wrestler, uh, uh, NCAA multiple-time NCAA champion versus Cody Brundage. It's like you, you get heat from top to bottom, even when you go True. even further down. Again, we mentioned Holly Holm versus Kayla Harrison. You got Bobby King Green against Jim Miller. Jim Miller, again, the as we mentioned in the last episode, he holds the records for the amount of wins within a UFC cage. And then you got Sadiq Youssef, who's from my neck of the woods. Shout out the team Lloyd Irving in uh, Camp Springs. He's taking on uh, Diego Lopez. And then we're going to start out the card with former champion Jessica Andrade versus Marina Rodriguez. So it's just up and down. You just got a stacked card. Uh, oh, Davison Figueredo. I passed right by this. Davison Figueredo versus Cody Garbrandt, two former flyweight champions. Like, yeah. you got heat on this card. Uh, and 
again, you may not have all the glitz and glamour. You may not have all the big names like a Conor McGregor or a John Jones, but you you got some quality fights. I I yeah. I put if you're a betting person out there, I put the over under as far as any of these fights going the distance. I'll put the over under maybe four. <laughs> Because <laughs> I think everybody, like, everybody's looking to finish in this one. So, you know, I, I, yeah, I'll put no more than four. So if you again, if you if there's if there's some action on that on your draft kings or on your uh, prize picks, prize picks, um, <laughs> and go ahead and put some money on that because I, I I don't think I'd be shocked if we get a bunch of decisions on this UFC 300 card. Uh, um, and we also did allude to uh, Cheeto Vera going against uh, Sean O'Malley for the second time. That'll be happening on UFC 299. Again, two back-to-back stacked cards. Um, I think if you're an MMA fan, it's going to be very, very exciting. So um, with that, and either, oh, one more thing I did want to mention uh, before we get on out of here is – we got a new inductee we, to join Frankie Edgar into the UFC Hall of Fame. We got Pride's very own, and we were discussing Pride earlier with Amani. We got mm-hmm. Pride's very own Vanderlei, the axe murderer Silva, being inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on Vanderlei Silva getting the call up? I think it's great. Um, you know, it's time that like the legends of the sport get honored in big ways. And, you know, MMA is very much so like wrestling where it's one of those things where you like never say never because uh, a media person even like quoted Dana at the, the press conference and they were like, yeah, because, you know, back in the day, you used to say that it'll never happen, that Randley <laughs> Silva would get inducted into the Hall of Fame. But now here it is. It's happening, you know? So... Mm-hmm. It's great. I'm I'm here for it, you know? Because also, you know what happens, right? Like, a lot of you guys know that I'm from a different generation in general in life, but also I'm from a different generation in the world of MMA. So, when it comes to the times of, like, these um, inductions and all of that, the Hall of Fame things, it allows people like me, right? People of my generation and all of that for us to kind of look into these athletes and why they're so great and all of that. And so, it gives us like a reason to kind of research up, research on them, I guess. And, you know, just have all of this research on this person and find out why they were so great and get to kind of experience that moment in time. So mm-hmm. I'm here for it and I'm very excited about it. He, he really, really deserves it. He really does. He really does. And not only was he, I, I think he is kind of like the epitome of having two faces, but not in a bad way. Like he had, when he stepped into that cage, whether it be um, stepping into that pride ring or stepping into a UFC cage, like he turned it on. He was the most intimidating fighter from that shoot the box camp. He was the most intimidating fighter that you can ever see. Just devastating with his punches and just puts people to sleep. But then as soon as he gets out that cage from from all the people that have talked about him, he's just the nicest 
person outside of the cage. He'll he'll take the shirt off his back and give it to you if asked. I've heard plenty of stories about him um, remaining in his autograph line, I believe, when they had the international fight night um, kind of convention going around a big event in Vegas, whether it be in June or July, and he would just stay in his like autograph spot. It didn't matter what time he was told that he can leave. He said, no, I'm waiting here and I'm signing for each and every person. I'll hug each and every person. I'll talk to each and every person that's in this line. I'm not leaving until the last person comes through. And um, also like if you, and I'm glad that you mentioned it as well, as far as just getting this name out there to a newer generation of fight fans mm-hmm. who weren't like watching back then, who who weren't around back then when Pride was like in its like in its heyday and when UFC was kind of like in its infancy and making its way up. Uh, um it, it gives people an opportunity to go on YouTube or go on a UFC fight pass and check out some of these fights from these fighters and also check out some of these interviews. There's one in particular, uh, if it's, if it's on YouTube at all, uh, it's called voice versus, and, um, it features, uh, Michael, the voice Chevello. He's, uh, I believe he does commentary for one right now, one championship wrestling and, mm-hmm. or one championship, uh, I think it's just one championship. Um, it, is, it is. Yeah, I, I don't know why I called it wrestling. But, um, championship wrestling. It does. I, I get. <laughs> I just went for the two because you know. <laughs> I get used to that, but yeah, one championship, and he's also done some stuff uh, earlier for for Dream and for different promotions in Japan as well, and kickboxing K one. He's done some stuff, but it, he has it an interview series and he has one particular one with Vanderlei Silva. And it's just like, you're, you're just seeing Vanderlei just open up to this guy. And even though like, especially with his accent, um, like is it kind of a little bit hard to understand, but it's just, this dude is just full of charisma. He's just very funny mm-hmm. and he's very reflective and, um, very reflective and very like retrospective in thinking about his career and but you know coming from the environment that he come from like he he came from the slums in in Brazil and just to make his way up and becoming an MMA legend is just the the stuff of dreams so shout out to him shout out to Vanderlei Silver like you said very well deserved entry into the UFC hall of fame so yeah with that i'll go ahead and see if you have anything else you wanted to touch on that we didn't get a chance to chi chi um no that's it (laughs) that's That's it it. (laughs) all right well go ahead and tell the people where they can find you also go ahead and tell them i know that youtube coming up she put out some new interviews, including uh, one that she had. And I, I like how you uh, framed it where you said it's not an inter- interview per se. I, I'm thinking it's more like yeah. a conversation between you and brother Amino. Go ahead and tell the people about that and where else they can find you. So the name is Chingere Okafo. You guys can find me on Twitter or X 
and as well as Instagram, at Chingerokafa underscore. It's the name that you see right there. Um, but I do have a YouTube channel. It's Chi-Chi's Combat Corner. And, you know, I just I just get on there and I do my my own thing. Actually, as soon as we finish recording this, I'm going to go and have another juicy conversation with another friend of mine. And, Ooh. yeah. So, basically, ju- just go on YouTube, guys, and search it. Chi-Chi's Combat Corner. Otherwise, you can find it on my social medias. And, yeah, that's basically all that there is to me right now. All about combat sports. Nah. Over to you, Ray. All right. Well, as for me, Chi-Chi, and first off, I do want to, again, thank Imani Millier for joining us and just letting us know about like his inspirations within the sport, what got him involved with the sport, and also just some inspirational Black figures within MMA that kind of mm. inspired his journey. Thank you so much, Imani, for joining us once again. Uh, Where you can find me, we actually, it's funny because we normally don't go two hours. We normally get a soft spot around an hour and a half or so, but we we did have to make a bit of time for our guests. And again, we thank him for coming on by. But at the time of this recording, two hours with you, Chi-Chi, which seems to always fly by, and then also five hours that we did live for the NWA podcast uh, presented by Post Wrestling last night. So please, if you aren't already a fan or if you aren't already a subscriber to Post Wrestling, either on uh, YouTube or or uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get podcasts, and go ahead, if you like more pro wrestling content as opposed to our mixed martial art content here go ahead and give those guys a like and follow um you can find me also on the kings of sport network right here on the kings of sport network again please go ahead support any way you can whether it be through our new channel of t-shirts through chop-tees.com where you can find merchandise for not only the Nubian wrestling advocates, but also for the Kings of Sport right there on chop-tees.com. Free shipping for anywhere within the U.S. and Canada and uh, expedited and discounted shipping for everywhere else. Also, go ahead, join that Patreon if you haven't already, even if you can't afford for a T-shirt. I'm sure everybody can afford $5, $5 as brother Nate Milton likes to say, $5 gets you in the door. If you want to spend more, we won't stop you. Come on in, get all of this content about 500 hours, I believe in content, whether it be on pro wrestling or whether it be on politics with the twin and twin twin, or whether it be even in Marvel. I know that we have, an upcoming uh, Marvel spinoff, or not Marvel spinoff, but Marvel podcast with Brother Nate and some female perspectives on uh, Marvel and on comic books uh, as a whole. So stay tuned for that as well. Also stay tuned. Brother Nate will have some special programming with the nephew, uh, with the youngest in charge or the now dubbed hashtag yik 
We trying to get that spreading around the world. Number one trending around the world. Hashtag Yik. Uh, Andrew Thompson. There's going to be some uh, special stuff coming up in the near future with those two brothers as well. And of course, you can find us on the flagship, the Kings of Sport podcast uh, should be coming out soon, relatively soon, um, where we're possibly going to be recapping the Super Bowl and probably recapping the Elimination Chamber as well. So stay tuned for that. Again, Kings of Sport Patreon, Kings of Sport Network on YouTube and on anywhere you can find podcasts and chop-tees.com to support us and also get some good merchandise for yourself. So with that being said, thank you all for tuning in to another installment of the Spinning Black Fist Podcast. I'm your boy, Two-Way Ray. And it's your girl, Chi-Chi. And until next time, good fight, good night.